Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. General Orders Number 11, Headquarters 13th Army Corps, Department of the Tennessee, Holly Springs, December 17, 1862. The Jews, as a class violating every regulation of trade established by the Treasury Department and also Department Orders, are hereby expelled from the Department within 24 hours from the receipt of this order. That order's author was Ulysses S. Grant, and he would come to repent for its anti-Semitism the rest of his life. We'll learn more about the order's causes and consequences from Professor Jonathan D. Sarna, author of When Grant Expelled the Jews, tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you from the third floor of the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University, as usual, but as also usual, not speaking for the university or any of its sub-organizations, just myself. And likewise, my guest will speak only for himself tonight, as we do each week here at Civil War Talk Radio. And as we have done for 20 years tonight, celebrating... uh, uh, the heritage of the show, we're coming to you old school. If the sound quality isn't what it usually is, it's not uh, the fault of Voice America in any way. It's because I had a uh, computer unexpected shutdown over the weekend, got everything fixed, I thought, uh, but forgot to rec- to make sure that it was recognizing all the wireless bits and pieces, including my uh including Frank, the headphones that I wear with the microphone, the headset. Um, so Frank was not responding, and uh, at the last minute I've had to do it the way we did the first five or ten years of the show, calling on the phone, holding it up to my ear for an hour till the uh, 
ear cartilage turns red and pulpy. You don't want to hear about that, but uh, but here we are. We'll, we'll get it fixed for next week. In the meantime, the content is what matters. Uh, and this gives me an excuse not to talk about football or anything else that we don't want to hear about uh, this week. Uh, but I will share with you the, the the big academic news going on at ECU and the other campuses of the UNC system is that our Solons in the state legislature here in North Carolina passed uh, a law based on their determination that students today are not learning enough civics and enough history, and they need to know more about this. Now, uh, I agree with that. Uh, whenever anyone tells me they think students today don't know enough history, they don't know the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence and so on, I agree fully. And I'll often support, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll back that up with a New York Times article, headline article, uh, college freshmen today ignorant of basic historical facts, and uh, show that to whoever's pointing this out to me. I will then point out the article is from 1943 and that there's nothing new in the fact that college first-year students don't know anything about basic historical facts. It's always been that way. Uh, but people get exercised about it periodically, and, and so we're doing that today. What has happened, though, is the state has mandated instruction in uh, various documents, Declaration of Independence, Constitution, Emancipation Proclamation, uh, which I welcome in principle, the current proposal that that they are debating implementing uh, the law with would focus on two student learning outcomes, to use the jargon. One focused on the founding of the country, one on the uh, implementation of American ideals, which we think we could work into our current American history courses here at ECU, or our two survey courses. But there are two things that stand out in what happens when uh, politicians start to write curriculum. One of them is I'm pretty sure no one who voted for this law has actually read the Emancipation Proclamation. And since you're listening to this show, you you almost certainly know more about it than they do. You know that it's uh, it's con- you know about its context, you know about its limitations, you know a lot about it. And if it was if the people promoting the law are thinking this is a way to prove America has never been a racist nation and and so on, um, when we actually teach about the real proclamation, they will have a big surprise coming. Uh, more, uh, and the same would apply to the Constitution and the other documents. The other thing that the politicians weren't considering, certainly, is how this would actually work. We've got 5,000 almost first-year students here at ECU this year. Uh, So if we assume that's going to be the annual demand for instruction in these two learning outcomes, uh, our department chair did the math and calculated we would have to increase the number of sections of U.S. history offered by a factor of 20. Um, We've got about 20 professors. We'd have to have 400. Um, That's not going to happen, obviously. So maybe we could teach it in giant online courses, get rid of all the critical thinking and all the essay writing and all the interaction and discussion, just have it be massive lecture and multiple choice, like a high school course. Uh, But even then, we'd still have to hire more people to do it. And the university has been 
shrinking our department for 20 years. So they may have to actually start growing us again if they're going to implement this in some way. I'm sure they will find a way to implement it without growing the history department, maybe just have every student answer a true-false question on day one and say that counts. We'll see. Uh, well, we'll see other things here. What's going to be on the show next week, for example, Fergus Bordowitz returns to the show. He has a book called Clan War, U.S. Grant and the Battle to Save Reconstruction. So we've got two grant shows in a row uh, today and next week. We'll have Harold Holzer here on the 14th of February, 2024, brought forth on this continent Abraham Lincoln and American Immigration. On uh, the 21st of February, Scott Hippensteel, Sand, Science, and the Civil War, Sedimentary Geology and Combat, or perhaps Sedimentary Geology and Combat. And on the 28th, Cecily Zander's first book will be out, The Army Under Fire, The Politics of Anti-Militarism in the Civil War Era. So lots coming up. Go to www.impedimentsofwar.org. Leave... Uh, Learn who's going to be on the show, click the PayPal button, and send uh, all your excess dollars this way to help me buy the books that we're talking about, if I don't get free copies. And uh, don't deduct it on your taxes, because it's not a 501c3. Tonight, we are talking with Jonathan D. Sarna, uh, author of a number of books. Uh, the one in particular mentioned in the introduction is called When General Grant Expelled the Jews. Uh, Professor Sarna, are you there? Nice to be with you. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for waiting for the, the technical delay at the start of the show. I appreciate your patience. Uh, welcome to the show. Glad glad to have you here. You are highly recommended by uh, uh, some listeners, and uh, I'm glad to do their bidding and have you with us. Um, this, Thank you. And, and uh, I know you've, you've edited other books, I think, on our website We've listed uh, the the reader uh, that you edited on Jews in the Civil War, and I'd like mm-hmm. to ask you some questions about some big big issues. Mm-hmm. But but this particular right. and book in on the Grant. Ring, my book on Lincoln and the Jews, uh, is coming out in paperback by uh, New York University Press. That was with Benjamin mm-hmm. Chappelle, but uh, that, mm-hmm. that, those are my Civil War books. Yeah, wonderful. Well, that that um, I. Did not uh, Benjamin Chappelle is, is a familiar name, I'm sure, to a lot of listeners, a lot of readers. Um, I don't recall ever meeting him, but through John Sellers at the mm-hmm. Library of Congress, uh, I worked closely with John for a number of years, and he frequently mentioned uh, uh, Benjamin Chappelle as, yeah. as an important historian. Um, mm-hmm. So but let me let me start by asking you about this book uh, on, on Order Number Eleven when when Grant General Grant expelled the Jews. Uh, you start your book off by pointing out this book almost stopped your career before it started. It did. It's kind of it's one of these stories that is horrific when it happens and hilarious in retrospect. I was uh, a very young faculty member. Uh, um, uh, 27 years old, and uh, they invited me to deliver a talk before the Board of Overseers. I was then living in Cincinnati, and of course, uh, 
for a scholar, that's an important rite of passage. If they're bringing you out oh, yeah. to the board, they clearly want to show off. And uh, it happened to be that it was um, the, the 120th anniversary of General Grant's order expelling a Jews from his war zone, General Orders Number 11, and the Grant papers had been coming out, so I thought I would take uh, that order as my subject, and my talk is going um, merrily uh, along, and um, I then say that Although Grant had singled Jews out as smugglers, we now know that smuggling was actually rampant throughout Grant's territory. It certainly was not a Jewish monopoly. And then I continued enthusiastically uh, that Grant's own father, we know, Jesse Grant, was engaged in a clandestine scheme to move southern cotton northward, and his partners were the Jewish clothing manufacturers, Harmon Henry and Simon Mack. And no sooner were those words out of my mouth than you could sort of begin to hear chairs shifting, and my mentor, the very famous uh, uh, pioneering, really, American Jewish historian, Jacob Rader Marcus, buried his face in his hands, I knew that I had just said something terrible. Of course, I had no idea what it was. I had all my footnotes in order. So I hobbled to the end of the lecture and invite questions. And then an old man in the front row raised his hand and actually uh, got up uh, from his chair and stood up. My name is Mac. He memorably began, uh, his real name was Edgar Johnson Mack Jr., he's known as Buddy Mack, and he looked me straight in the eye and announced, that was my great-grandfather you were talking about. And, and then there was a long and dramatic pause, it's all true. And at that moment, the room relaxed, and um, uh, Dr. Marcus looked up, and everybody smiled, and my academic career was saved. But uh, it took me some years to get over that experience. And, uh, in a way, this book um, uh, is, uh, includes some of that old research as well as a lot of additional research from that memorable lecture uh, um, uh, when a descendant, uh, when a descendant appeared in the front row. Well, that that was what a great story. That you don't often run into that problem. Well, I guess you do run into that problem uh, regularly in Civil War circles, where you you say something and it turns out there's a descendant in the audience. Uh, but to have that happen in your circumstance, what a what a great thing. But let me ask, connected to that, why why choose? I mean, in that case, it was the anniversary, but now you have this entire book mm-hmm. on such a fraught topic. Uh, it's it, it's one that. You know, well, it, it, why, yeah, why, why did I choose it? Um, I have to say that um, before my book, it was very puzzling. Uh, there was no 
very deep, significant um, study of the order. It's the most anti-Jewish order, the most sweeping official anti-Jewish order in all of American history. Um, and what is also puzzling was, you know, it was clear to me that, uh, first of all, all the Jews didn't leave. Well, why not? General order gave an order. How come more people didn't leave? And then, uh, of course, uh, what was interesting was that uh, uh, Grant, uh, as president, seemed to have all sorts of Jews um, connected to him. So it seemed to me that there were unanswered questions and that this episode uh, deserved closer attention. Um, uh, Of course, as many of the listeners know, uh, we have been reevaluating the life, career, presidency of Ulysses S. Grant in recent decades. Once upon a time, uh, he ranked at the very bottom of American presidents, largely uh, because uh, he he, uh, was blamed for all of the ills of Reconstruction without recognizing um, that uh, he was really trying to uh, uh, build on on the ideals of the Union and to uh, uh, create a second American revolution where uh, African Americans would have equality. Uh, but um, uh, in in the early 20th century, the Southerners especially, but also um, uh, historians generally, reviled um, uh, a Grant. And um, in recent decades, in line with the civil rights movement, uh, there's been a reevaluation of, um, of his career that really began with uh, a Columbia professor, Eric Foner, uh, Eric Foner mm-hmm. and has really continued, and there now have been a series of biographies of Grant that um, have um, uh, shown him off in a new light. But those biographies and still didn't know what to make of his anti-Semitic order. And uh, what I wanted to do was really look much more closely. And, of course, uh, what I discovered was not only had Abraham Lincoln overturned the order, but Grant Mm -hmm. himself um, uh, apologized and repented of the order and really spent the last decades of his life, certainly from uh, uh, 1868 onward, uh, trying to prove that he was a very different kind of a person, uh, that he was not prejudiced against Jews, uh, and in fact, um, uh, he appointed more Jews than anyone had before and went out of his way to try and demonstrate uh, 
uh, the kind of human being uh, that he that he was. And uh, when he died, Jews joined in mourning him, and um, uh, that really demonstrated how much had changed uh, from the days when, from a Jewish perspective, he was a kind of modern-day wicked Haman. Uh, he he, he uh, really improved his image. Uh, how many people, after all, apologize uh, uh, when they become president. So um, uh, the, the story, um, uh, I thought, was a, an interesting one, and uh, maybe uh, since I was writing about it at, uh, uh, in, in uh, the, the period when we had the presidents who uh, were reluctant to apologize for anything, um, I thought that mm-hmm. maybe uh, knowing that Ulysses S. Grant was humble and was able to say that uh, um, uh, he made a mistake in that order would also be uh, illuminating. Uh, I also felt that uh, uh, knowing that Lincoln instantly overturned the order uh, mm-hmm. was important and told us something about Abraham Lincoln amidst war, overturning the order of one of his most successful generals uh, is not a small matter um, and should be better known. Well, it, it certainly should. Uh, it, it is a, a great story overall. Uh, the fact that, that Grant later apologize brings up an interesting question in regard to to Grant's election. Uh, What we're going to do is take a short break in just a moment. I'll I'll, I'll ask the question now. We'll take a break and get your answer afterward. Uh, When Grant runs for president in 1866, how do American Jews respond politically? Do they see him as someone whose principles they agree with, or does uh, the, the taint of, of Order Number 11 hang too heavily over him, which way do they vote? We'll pause at this moment. We're going to take a short break and come back. We're talking tonight with Jonathan D. Sarna. He's the author of When General Grant Expelled the Jews. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. 
Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking tonight with Jonathan D. Sarna, author of When General Grant Expelled the Jews and other works, uh, including works of Lincoln and the Jews. We were talking in the last segment about uh, Grant's Order Number 11, the topic of the book, and I left with a question that, that reflects the concern people have had ever since, uh, what happens when religious loyalty might conflict with political loyalty? Uh, you might support uh, a, a person or, or a nation uh, for one motive, but be opposed uh, on, on policy grounds for another reason. So how did people vote? How did Jewish voters vote in 1868 when Grant ran for president, uh, knowing he had issued number, order number 11? Uh, what were their feelings? So... Uh, it's a wonderful uh, uh, question, and uh, the truth is that before uh, the 1868 election, uh, many Jews had insisted that they uh, vote as Americans, and uh, it was very rare that a religious issue intruded into a presidential race. Uh, Jews uh, were not even 1% of the population. Uh, But then comes General Grant, and the problem for American Jews, especially those who were strong supporters of the Union, uh, who uh, agreed with Republican Party policies, was, can I vote for a man uh, even if he's in the right party, a man who had expelled, quote, Jews as a class from his war zone. Um, uh, was he untouchable? Uh, but on the other hand, do I want to vote for a party that I consider bad for the country? And uh, uh, kind of the Democrats in the eyes of uh, many Republicans at that time, the Democrats wanted to undo the Civil War. Uh, they were a racist party. So uh, what we see is, uh, not surprisingly, is that the Jewish community is divided. Um, you had even very significant rabbis who came out um, uh, at opposite um, uh, ends uh, on on that question. Um, Isaac Mayer Wise, who was probably uh, the best-known reform rabbi of his day, he lived in Cincinnati, just across from uh, Kentucky. He was a Democrat. It was easy for him to attack Ulysses S. Grant. Um, He didn't like the Republican Party's policies, and he certainly wasn't going to vote for an anti-Semite. But um, 
another well-known rabbi of the time, Rabbi Liebman Adler of uh, KAM uh, Congregation in Chicago. By the way, today that's about a block away from Barack Obama's house. But uh, uh, Rabbi Liebman was uh, a staunch uh, Republican, and uh, uh, he... um, uh, felt that when you take up the ballot, uh, you have to act in the best interests of the republic, what's best for the welfare of the country, and uh, he was quite certain that um, the Republicans were the best, uh, when the Republican candidate was the one uh, who represented the ideals that he supported, and uh, he um, um, was willing to overlook a grant uh, expulsion of the Jews and vote Republican. Uh, we actually know that when the votes were counted, uh, first of all, the Jewish vote didn't matter much. Uh, uh, they were too small. Or the African-American vote mattered a lot in 1868. Mm-hmm. Uh, But more importantly, we do know that lots of Jews who would otherwise have voted Republican uh, seem to have shifted and voted against Grant. There's a wonderful diary uh, of um, a young Jew voting for the first time and couldn't make up his mind because he agreed with the ideals of the Republican Party but he couldn't quite stomach voting for a man who had expelled Jews from his war zone. And uh, he finally gets to the ballot box, and then he records in his diary, I couldn't bring myself to vote for a man uh, who had done this to my people. Uh, So he didn't vote for Grant. Um, uh, Grant wins the election. And then Grant apologizes. It's fascinating, and my students always wonder, why didn't he say this earlier? And apparently some people knew how he felt, uh, but it was a different day, and Grant Mm -hmm. uh, felt that if he explained it before the election, people would think it wasn't genuine. He was only uh, saying this, because he wanted votes. Um, mm. So, uh, and presidents didn't barnstorm the way they do today in, like, uh, in those days. Right. So, uh, in any case, uh, um, uh, Grant, after he's elected, uh, really apologizes, and uh, he, he made clear that uh, he uh, did not stand by uh, that order, and um, he uh, uh, and 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 uh, I do not pretend to sustain that order. Uh, Grant said was on the front page of many newspapers, uh, and then he says, "I have no prejudice against sect or race, but want each individual to be judged by his own." And uh, that was exactly what Jews wanted to hear. And um, 
by the time Grant runs second time, um, everything is different. Um, uh, and Jews vote for him in uh, considerable numbers. Uh, in the 1872 election, he wins really by a landslide. What, uh, what does Grant say about this order in his memoirs? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> um, and that's fascinating, and we know that that's not accident. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, his, his son was quoted in the Jewish press when they asked the question, because his son was helping him uh, uh, in, in with the uh, memoirs, and um, um, uh, his son said that he had asked his father, shouldn't we talk about uh, 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 the order? And his father said uh, that uh, uh, the less said about the order, uh, the better. Uh, but the fascinating thing is that the person who, who does uh, talk about uh, the order is uh, is his wife. You know, sometimes what mm. husbands uh, uh, want to um, forget, their wives want to remember. And she, mm. in her lesser-known memoir, calls the order obnoxious and says that the general, meaning her husband, uh, thought that the rebuke he received was well-deserved. I uh, shouldn't have issued uh, an order um, uh, affecting a whole class of people. Um, so one senses that he was deeply sensitive. There are other very sensitive matters, including alcohol, that go unmentioned in, in Grant's fabulous memoir. It is one of the mm-hmm. best uh, memoirs of its kind. Uh, but um, there were things that Grant didn't want to talk about. They were too painful, and apparently this was one of them. So given that he did reverse his position, uh, that suggests whatever prejudice he had was not uh, so deep-rooted he couldn't overcome it. Uh, so why why do you think he issued this order in the first place? What, what's your theory? Mm-hmm. Um I think that during the Civil War, the term smuggler and the term Jew were, for a lot of people, synonyms. In other words, because Mm. some Jews were smugglers, people generalized and said, oh, those smugglers, they're Jews. And um, uh, he kind of bought in. Uh, to uh, that prejudicial idea, uh, there was tremendous concern, and for good reason, uh, with smuggling. Grant and other generals thought that if they could find a way to stop the movement of cotton from the south to the north, um, then uh, the south would be bankrupted, the war uh, would end much more quickly. But, of course, tremendous sums could be made smuggling in both directions. The North and the South Mm -hmm. were interdependent, so you made a fortune on cotton that moved moved north or to the uh, East Coast, 
and you could make a fortune on medicines and clothing and finished goods uh, that moved from the north to the south. And uh, this was widely known, and plenty of people uh, found those riches uh, irresistible. Uh, soldiers mm. smuggled, uh, uh, all sorts of people smuggled, and Jews smuggled too. Uh, there's no question that there were mm. uh, Jews involved in smuggling, uh, especially since so many Jews uh, were peddlers. Um, uh, you know, it was easy for them to move goods. Uh, but um, uh, Grant, instead of saying, I'm going to expel smugglers from the war zone. Um, he, he expelled Jews as a class, and uh, that was really um, that was really the problem. Uh, and one always um, uh, has to be have to be wary, even in our own day, um, of um, blaming an entire group. Uh, for the sins of a small number of members of that group. And that's really what Grant did. That's uh, the essence of prejudice. That, that, that phrase, as a class, uh, that, that he uses in the order, really seemed, I mean, it comes back immediately in the, the, the order that Halleck sends him, from from Lincoln to mm-hmm. countermand the order says you know describing you know expelling as a class rather than individual guilty people uh, I mean that that suggests that there was a degree to which Jews were looked on quote as a class uh, even at this time before the Civil War uh, people who, who Think about this subject. Who know a little bit about it tend to assume anti-Semitism really becomes a problem in the later 19th century. But that, as a class phrase, suggests it might already be there. Yeah, and I think there's more and more evidence that anti-Semitism grows. Of course, Jewish population has grown in the Civil War. Um, uh, but I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I love the Lincoln quote. Lincoln mm-hmm. met with Jewish leaders and says, to condemn a class is, to say the least, to wrong the good with the bad. I do not mm-hmm. like to hear a class or nationality condemned on account of a few sinners. And really, a remarkable mm-hmm. quote, and, and tells you a lot about, uh, about Lincoln. And... Uh, uh, that was really the problem. There's no question that there were a few sinners, um, but blaming all Jews for the sins of some uh, was, of course, um, uh, wrong and wicked. Um, and I think that's really what was going on. Uh, admittedly, it was a tough time for Grant, and uh, uh, he... Uh, uh, hadn't yet had major victories. They're moving south, and uh, uh, he is very eager to prove himself. But that doesn't excuse um, mm. the actions uh, he took, and later on he knew it. Jumping uh, in with just time, really, for one more good question. Uh, Lincoln, uh, you've written about Lincoln and the Jews. Mm-hmm. What um, 
given the population is only you know less than one percent of the American population, uh, the Jewish population, did Lincoln have much interaction? So um, that's really uh, my other book on with Ben Spell mm-hmm. on Lincoln and the Jews. Lincoln had more interactions and closer interactions with Jews than any president to his time. Jews had begun moving into Illinois, and it's really when Lincoln gets to Illinois um, that he uh, uh, he makes friends with Jews, and um, uh, we open that book with uh, a diagram of of all of the many Jews with whom Lincoln interacted. Of course, this had something. Uh, to do with the fact that the Jewish population grew from 15,000 in 1840 to 150,000 in 1860. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, uh, Lincoln was open to all sorts of people. Remember, he had friends in the African-American community. Uh, Lincoln mm-hmm. uh, was very remarkable and... Um, uh, I, I think um, uh, one of the exciting things for me about writing about Lincoln was you read the private Lincoln, his private mm-hmm. letters, and, and they're really as good as his public statements. You see the character of the person in some of his letters um, uh, to friends. And, um, uh, you know, it's, uh, there's a reason that people still revere Abraham Lincoln, um, uh, without mentioning which presidents. There are plenty of presidents when you read their private letters, even their friends mm-hmm. are somewhat repelled. Uh, and, I mean, that certainly would be true. Buchanan and Johnson on Jews who were known to be anti-Semites, you just don't find that kind of uh, the gratuitous uh, group uh, insults um, in in Lincoln, and uh, he carried that through uh, as president um, uh, as as well. And there were several. Uh, we don't have time to go into them, uh, but there were several Jewish matters that came before him. Uh, should there be a Jewish chaplain, for example. Uh, mm-hmm. And in each case, um, uh, you see Lincoln um, uh, supporting the rights of Jews as equals uh, in the United States. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's interesting to ask the question, if Lincoln hadn't been president in 1862, uh, what would have happened? Might we have had a president who said, well, let's worry about this after the war is over. For now, uh, I'm too busy to get involved in a small group. Uh, but that's not what Lincoln did. And uh, that's why I think in many ways this incident is worth remembering. Um, uh, that even amidst war, and even when it's your finest general, um, uh, you have to stand up for human rights, and you're not going to allow uh, a whole group to be besmirched on, on account of a few sinners.
Well, that, that's a, a great point that this, this whole incident takes place in December 1862. Grant is certainly concerned with what's happening at Holly Springs with his, with his base for the Vicksburg campaign. But Lincoln's got the Emancipation Proclamation on his mind. Mm-hmm. He's about to sign the final version uh, on January right. 1 of 63. So he's got a lot on his plate when this comes to him. Mm-hmm. And there were, I mean, there were people in the Jewish community who said, oh, we're going to free the slaves, and now we're going to expel the Jews. In other words, they linked reasonably. Yeah. You know, the one is in December and the other is January. Mm-hmm. Um, and people linked it. There were Jews who were petrified. And um, by overturning Grant's order, uh, Lincoln put those fears to rest. And even Isaac Mayer Wise, whom I mentioned earlier, is a Democrat mm-hmm. and who had not supported Lincoln, uh, really comes to praise him uh, for his actions and um, uh, quote him and uh, is really transformed. And, of course, when uh, Lincoln is assassinated, um, this is going to be remembered as well. But one of the many interesting points you make in the book is how uh, emancipation held both promise, obviously, freedom for African Americans, but how uh, many Jews in the United States feared that it, essentially if, if African Americans weren't going to be on the bottom rung any longer, perhaps the country would turn on them and then they would mm-hmm. suffer the kind of abuse they'd suffered uh, in the old country. Unfortunately, we're out of time tonight. Uh, I'd love to talk about this book much longer. Readers, uh, for an enlightening look at a chapter that uh, I thought I knew something about, read When General Grant Expelled the Jews. It's written by our guest tonight, Jonathan Sarna. Jonathan, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Well, thank you very much. The pleasure has been mine. And listeners, as always... Thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.